Welcome everyone to the Healing Place Podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock. Excited to have you here with us, listening in, and also excited to have another wonderful guest. I will be doing some introductions in just a moment, but just wanted to welcome you here first to this space filled with motivation and inspiration and healing stories. Welcome everybody. I am super excited to have Emily Daniels here with me today and she is uh, here to talk about Hear This Now. So welcome Emily. I'm so glad to have you here. Hi Terry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me about Hear This Now and, and you and your mission and passion. Okay, do you want me to tell you a little bit about the, the history of why I started this? Sure, I've been absolutely. For about a little over a year now. Okay. Um, so I was, I, I formerly was a school counselor and then most recently a student assistance counselor for a number of years at our local high school. And, um, you know, I worked always with the most um, at-risk, we called them, you know, in school talk, we, we call them at-risk students or at-risk youth. Um, but I always, I always worked with that population of children, and um, you know, in my years of doing that, I discovered that a lot of what I was doing in terms of trying to counsel kids was largely ineffective. It just, um, I noticed that you know, if a child was really dysregulated or acting out in some way, for me to try and engage them you know, verbally to try to soothe them or calm them down, it, it sometimes would work in the opposite way. Right. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until I started bringing in practices of meditation and mindfulness and Reiki and aromatherapy and all these sort of more body-based uh, approaches that I noticed that it was far more effective in helping kids just sort of regain themselves, for yes. lack of a better word. Right. And, um and then it was many years later that I, I, I discovered, I went to, actually it was Bethel's uh, annual conference in Boston. I attended that three years ago. And that's when I was awakened to this whole field of trauma trauma and trauma traumatology and understanding sort of behavior from that perspective or that lens. And I was like, thank God. Yes. <laughs> because it, um, it never was, it was a real... Um, it was it was just such a huge paradigm shift for me because it gave validation to the ways that I've been working and also um, the things that really bothered me, especially a lot of the behavioral assumptions that we make in school settings, um, a lot of the pressures we place on children to perform academically and the pressures we place on educators to, to get these kids to you know, havoc that was wreaking. And so it wasn't until I met the concepts of being trauma-informed that I, I had language and a whole body of research and science to support, you know, my perspective that like, wow, we're really not, we're not doing, we're not doing well by our kids. And um, so I started practicing from that perspective and, um, you know, started getting more training, started engaging in somatic experiencing training and reading everything I could. And, um, I was just finding myself up against like barrier after barrier in public education. Just, you know, teachers who thought I couldn't hold kids accountable or I didn't know how to set boundaries or I was letting kids get away with things. And, you know, because kids would do things that were 
hurtful or harmful in some way, and and um, you know teachers and administrators wanted consequences immediately. You know they didn't really want to understand the behavior. Right. Um, and so I was very much like, even though I was spearheading um, a prevention effort uh, for substance abuse, mis- substance misuse uh, with a trauma-informed lens and trying to educate community members and trying to actually educate the student body about ACEs and trauma, I just didn't have the support that I needed to feel like I could make an impact and was looking around and trying to figure out like, well, who's doing this work? Who else can like come join me and help educate our district? And there just wasn't at the time, this was just a year ago, literally, um, anybody that I could really, that I could really find that I thought, yeah, this is somebody who could come in and explain this to staff and then, you know, into the administration and they'd understand and want to move in this direction. So I, decided that I would do that. Right. Well, I, and I love it. I worked at an, in an agency here um, in the Cincinnati area and uh, in the mental health division and was in public school settings um, working with kids in the mental health field. And yes, so I get the whole idea of helping them build, as I used to call it, build their toolbox um, with coping yeah. skills. And so, yeah, doing meditation stuff with them and little yoga, you know, yoga, we would put on YouTube, um, like kids yoga, and we would practice that together. And so just helping empower kids. And it was all about giving them the tools that they needed Um, But yeah, trying to help teachers. But I tell you what I found was how many teachers and then even after I left the agency, how many teachers reached out to me, you know, like privately through Facebook or through a text or called me and said, please, please, I need resources. I need information. I don't know what to do with these kids who I know have been exposed to trauma. I know are hurting. What, What can I do? And so these teachers, they really are. These educators are they're desperate for help to, you know, help these kids um, so that, you know, obviously they can have a calm classroom. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic because teachers really are looking for it. They really are. They are. And they're they're actually looking for it more than, than even administrators are looking for. Yes. I think, I think the, um, I think the thing that's a real challenge, though, that I'm seeing and a fear that I have about this movement in schools is that, um, you know, public educators have been sort of hit with initiative after initiative for school improvement for almost 20 years now, um, starting with No Child Left Behind. And so, you know, social-emotional learning and social-emotional growth are are now kind of like buzzwords, and people are seeking, you know, approaches and curriculums, you know, to, to create harmony in the classroom or to decrease, you know, misbehavior and that sort of thing. And I think one of the concerns that I have is that I don't see the trauma-informed movement in schools as simply just helping teachers to be more equipped. I see that as a piece of it. But I do see it as a major, um, you know, revolution in how we define school and the culture of schools. Because, you know, it, one of the things that I train people about a lot is just um, the synchrony of and the dynamic interplay that happens in human beings from one human being to another. So if you have teachers coming into the classroom and educators, not just teachers, educators of any kind, paraprofessionals, counselors, you know, speech people, whatever, uh, if they're coming into the classroom feeling stressed because of the pressures of their jobs and the absence or not enough support, the absence or lack of support, 
that that is conveyed sure. you know, to their students to their students and to their kids. And so it sets up sort of this dynamic interplay where teachers can be stressed, it stresses students, and then the students' stress, you know, feeds the teachers. And it's this, you know, dynamic cycle. Sort of feedback cycle, sure. Um, and so unless we, you know, kind of step back and say, huh, we want students to perform well, what are the conditions we need to create in order to make that possible? And perhaps those conditions aren't about universal expectations of performance. And so that's a real challenge to our current structures of school. Um, you know, and, and I don't know that I don't know that the general population of excuse me, the general uh, public understands how much teachers are really um, expected to have all kids learning at the same rate and also um, achieving the same kinds of you know standard you know, scores making the same kind yes. of academic gains <laughs> yes. like you know regardless of their individuality you know what i'm saying yes so um and that so, child's so, and that child's history and their current their current status of you know are they coming into school hungry are they coming into you yes. know what's happening none in their home <laughs> yes yeah yeah exactly yeah, no, none of that really matters and it's so it's um, it's not accounted for, meaning it doesn't it doesn't serve as a, an excuse or a reason for why a child may underperform in school. Um, so, yeah. So I think you know part of what I'm trying to do is in, in the work that I do now with Hear This Now is to provide people with different um, conceptual frameworks for understanding what you know an, a, a real um, ideal conditions for learning would look like and how you go about trying to bring that into your school and what are examples of places that do that and do that well. I mean, obviously we're never gonna have a perfect school, but we have just all of these um, simultaneous challenges, whether it's educator burnout or high turnover administration or you know, um, students that are acting out and, and underperforming. I mean, there's just like all of these different uh, what I would say are symptoms of a broken system that um, needs some needs some healing and needs some fixing. Absolutely. <laughs> so I help I help people with that. Now, are you and, just uh, do you just work locally with local schools, or is this a program that um, you know that that can be used nationally? Is it is it something? What what is it that you offer? Yeah. So I do I do both. It, I have done work around the country um, in different places, and I also don't just do training with school districts. I also offer training to any public serving institution that is interested in either building understanding for building their their basic knowledge for understanding ACEs and trauma and its impact on human development or behavior, um, and also helping people to build capacity for systems change. Um, because what I'm describing about what's happening in education is also happening in healthcare, is also happening in mental health, is also happening in social services. So we've become a we've become a culture that's very much statistics and data. Um, it's very mechanistic in its in its way in which it approaches the care of human beings, and it's it's not it's not producing the results we want, and it's it's creating unintended consequences that I believe are pretty severe. So. Um, I don't offer a program uh, per se. I offer an approach to how you go about bringing about change with with the human experience in mind. So it's a focus on understanding 
the nervous system and its role in human behavior and it's focused on building connections between folks as you're trying to make change like um, you know it, so there's a lot there's a lot of pieces to initiating and sustaining change in a system of any kind and so I try to help folks with navigating that very cool um, yeah, I, it is cool. Yeah, it is I, cool. I love it, and I think it's, I mean, again, kudos to you for your initiative of, of starting this up and, and doing it, and I just think it's fantastic because, you know, like we talked about before we started recording, you know, the more that we work together to help bring awareness about ACEs and trauma and the impact that it has, um, you know, not only on children, but then as adults, you know, who have experienced trauma and carried it with them into the workforce, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah, the better we'll be able to create a society that's um, compassionate and um, mm-hmm. supportive. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and healthier. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things, you know, when I was reading your profile and I, I love is, you know, you talk about how you incorporate mindfulness and Reiki and you, you incorporate so many different um um, those are just the two that popped into my head only because I've used both. Um, I, and so talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you came to utilize these things and in, in your thoughts on each of these uh, tools that you use. Yeah. So um, I really discovered those in my own personal journey of healing. And, um, you know, I'm someone who has an A score of five myself. And so I came to the work of working with children um, from my own, you know, desire to um, be that kind of caring adult for a kid. Um, yes, I'm right there with you. Yeah, experience in my own childhood, and so in my twenties, I did. I I was having and struggling with a lot of different physical manifestations of that adversity. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't actually know that until I went until I went to a homeopath. But I, um, you know, I had just classic symptoms of, you know, irritable bowel and, uh, you know, lock, you know, lockjaw and TJM or whatever that's called. And, um, even wart. He had suggested that I engage in some body mind work and, you know, this was 20 years ago. And so, you know, yoga was just sort of starting to become more commonplace. And, um, so I started doing some yoga work and there, I'm the woman who led that. She was a Reiki master and also a very just energy-oriented person. And her name was Mary. Um, and I just, I loved her, and I felt like she was getting at healing at a different level. It wasn't just, you know, I had been in therapy for many years, talk therapy, which was beneficial for me, but it, it was not resulting in um, me healing my body, you know what I mean, yes. and healing that stress response in right. my body. So when I started, around the time that I started doing a lot of yoga and Reiki work and, and learning Reiki, um, I also was fortunate enough to to be involved with a program that was a pilot program out of Penn, which was mindfulness-based stress reduction for teachers and educators. And so I kind of got all this training sort of around the same, you know, within a three-year period of time. And... I just, it opened up a way of being that I guess in, in today's terms, I would say it, it exposed me to what it meant to be regulated in my body yes. and to have a feeling of being grounded and centered and calm. Yes. And I really, 
I really didn't know what that was. Right. And so, I mean, I know that sounds stupid. No, I, I so totally get it. I mean, when I think the day that I learned how to be cal- like comfortable in my own body, I was, was like a, oh my God, like what? what is this? I, it was just so yeah. surreal for me because my norm had always been chaos. So yeah, Absolutely. I totally get it. Absolutely. I totally get and I would, it. I would describe my inner experience as like just consist, like a constant buzzing. It was just like there was this humming and this buzzing. And I tend to be drawn, and I tended at that time especially to be drawn to others who buzzed at the same level that I did. Yes. And it was just this, you know, inner, you know, I now see it as my just sort of prolonged activated stress response, but back then I, I just thought it was I was high energy. Um, and so anyways, I, I, I just felt like w- when I would work with, with children or I'd work with teachers who were feeling stressed, I just it was just like a natural thing. like I just wanted to help them settle. It wasn't even something that I consciously you know, understood at the time that that's what I was trying to help them do but I I just started teaching them it and I just started using those principles and those practices and um people you know (laughs) I mean I literally would travel around to my classroom guidance lessons with my aromatherapy bag and (laughs) and you know lug along seriously like 20 yoga mats so kids could in second grade could you know do mindfulness work um and people thought I think I think people thought I was a total freak um, <laughs> I definitely got teased for it a good amount, but I, but people also, when they were feeling stressed, were like, oh, I should go talk to Miss Daniels. Right. Just, you know, if they knew that I had some kind of magic potion or some kind of magic something. And it wasn't really that I had magic. I just had practices that yes. we don't typically have in our culture. And, um, so, you know, and the most, most exciting thing for me is that I, um, the next thing that I'm really, well, one of the things I'm starting to get into now is, um, and I'm, I'm hoping to go study, is Qigong, because I just think that that's such an amazing form of um, fluid, you know, mindfulness and, and meditative movement. Um, so that's, a, I think that's a, the next big thing that's going to come to is um, understanding that. But it what, really and what is it again? Like, it's Qigong. So, which is a form of Chinese um, meditate movement meditation. Oh, very it's cool. QI and hyphen G O G N, excuse me, G O N G. And the probably the best known person here in our country is Lee Holden. But I was speaking to a woman the other day who's a trauma informed practitioner and she just finished training with him and that's what she does with her clients now. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Yeah, that's so, um, really awesome. I did. Um, it is. EMDR, EMDR therapy, mm. um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. But I just recently came across something called um, Art Accelerated Resolution Therapy. I think is what it is. Mm. And there's I is can't. Heart, did you say heart? Art, A R T, and I think it's oh. Accelerated Resolution Therapy, and it's similar to EMDR, but you rewrite you rewrite things and so i'm just now starting to research it but i can't find a practitioner in like this in the greater cincinnati area and so i'm like wow i hope i hope it catches on because apparently it's like the next step above emdr that even makes things like you know you process things in emdr but then it takes you to the next level and i love i love all that i've done um have you ever heard of ho'oponopono hawaiian healing 
Um, no. That was super cool too. I, 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 I've practiced that. So again, I have this toolbox full of all these crazy, awesome, you know, stuff that I've yeah, tried yeah. in tapping or EFT, you know, emotional freedom therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just think whatever, whatever works for, if, if we, if we can give people these tools and then they can Absolutely. use them as needed. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Very cool. No, it is. It really is. And one of the things that I've been I've been working on over the last year um, that I was hoping to have ready for um, distribution and actually for sale this this fall, but I think it will be more like the winter. Is an approach I've developed um, to trauma informed teaching called the regulated classroom, and there are several contemplative practices that like various sort of practices that I have uh, gleaned from lots of different you know thought. Um, thought leaders or, or different religious sects or whatnot that are simple things that you know we can do and I that are that are really simple things in, that can be done right in a classroom setting you know with teachers leading students and primarily the purpose being that the teachers are trying to regulate themselves so that they can they can be available to co-regulate kids or that kids can learn how to regulate themselves and I, I um you know, I think it's important for us to not only teach teachers these tools, but or educators these tools, but also really encourage them and give them permission and give them encouragement to use them, you know. And it's not just in the classroom, but like in staff meeting, like why not start staff meeting with a five minute, you know, um, thymus thump. Yes. <laughs> you, know, no. you know what I mean? Or a couple Qigong movements just to kind of get you transitioned and regulated for engaging your mind, you know? So, and I think that's the exciting thing about this movement is that I think it is making space and, and room for, you know, we don't have to just rely on just talking about what's going on for us or just um, medicate what's going on for us. Yes. There's other things that we can right. do. Right. You know? Well, and it's empowering yeah. to, I think when we, when we help people understand that it's it's a form of self empowerment when you can yeah. take these tools and use them to you know heal yourself ground yourself center yourself empower yourself however you want to look at it um, yeah I think it then helps people kind of um, embrace it a little more um, I agree yeah so. I agree um, yeah and yeah it's, it's really good yeah ten years ago you're like oh. a little freak <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, heck, even like I, you know, I say I experienced my shift. Um, you know, I had had panic attacks for 25 years from my from my trauma history, and mm. you know, I experienced a shift in 2013. So even when I first started talking about it, which you know, when I first started talking about it and coming to terms with everything and bringing all these tools on was, um, you know, five years ago. And even then, putting it out like on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. people didn't know what mindfulness was or, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the things Reiki, you know, what's Reiki? And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I, and I love it. Mm -hmm. I, I love it that it's being talked about and, again, that we're starting to make it um, more out there for, for the public to, to consume. So what, so what yeah. is, um, what's your target audience? I mean, like if you could reach as many people in the world, who, who do you want to reach? Um, I think whom I'm, I'm most trying to actually reach are the people who serve in a helping profession. Um, so I don't necessarily, I mean, I do collaborate with other folks to try and reach, you know, 
broad audiences that this impacts. Like I've, I've done work with Don Dom around pairing survivors and that sort of thing, but that's not really my, um, my passion per se. Um, my passion is more trying to reach those people who are trying to serve those who are, who are suffering. Um, because that work, doing that, doing that work well is so important in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, you know, being a, being a re- being a teacher that's available to connect with a kid, or being a nurse that's available to connect with a patient, or being a mental health clinician available to connect meaningfully with their client. Those those um, I just see those as huge mitigators of trauma. And but in order to do that and to sustain doing that well, there needs to be a lot of care for those individuals especially because a lot of us come into the work with pretty high ACE scores ourselves, which is why we want to do it. But it also makes us much more at risk for compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma and burnout. And so, um, you know, there aren't a lot of people who talk about helping the helpers. And that's that's really who I want to reach. I think that is beautiful on so many levels. I mean, as a trauma survivor and as someone who's working in this field, because one of the things that I, I talk about with ACEs is, is that, you know, when people say, they hear my story and they go, oh my God, how did you, <laughs> how do you smile? How do you survive? How do you radiate all this positive energy? And I said, and I, I truly go back to, there were certain anchors in my life and they were people that were in those helper roles. Um, you know, my grandmother was uh, helped raise us and so she was a very powerful source but I had a teacher in second grade that I truly say if she had not been in my life um, you know I was a very lost and and very hurt hurt, just a hurting little girl Um, and and her actions were so simple yet so powerful Um, and so yeah helping helping teachers and coaches and um, you know, like you said, nurses realize their the impact they have on on a child um, or a patient or whomever who has trauma history and who's hurting mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. incredibly powerful in that healing journey and their resilience. And that's a big part of this ACEs thing is yeah. resilience. Um, so yeah. What, yeah, so what you're doing is helping others to to build resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. To sustain their their not only their desire but their energy for the work. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's huge, and I say that mainly because I didn't experience it, and so I was a um, not to be whatever, but I was a very good direct service provider. Like I was a very good counselor for kids, but I did that for almost 20 years and when I left to go do this I it was only really in looking back you know six months into having left going oh my god I was so burned out (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean I was so burned out and I did I didn't even realize how bad that was um until I was able to have some distance from it and and it's you know I will, I won't ever, I don't know that I'll ever go back to doing that kind of work again. Um, And so that's a shame. And I think that that doesn't have to be the case for everybody. I think that others, um, you know, systems change and shift to support all, not just the few. I think that we'll see, you know, a lot change for everyone. 
So sure. Well, and that kind of leads it. us then into the next question of, um, you know, are there any myths or facts that you want to want to clarify for for people about, um, you know, any of this? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that... I had my... You know how funny? I, I'm holding one of my rocks in my hand. I have those... Um, they're like a little stress... Um, oh, gosh, I'm so drawing a blank. And I got it at a healer. Um, you know, what are the... Yeah, the crystal, like the and the, and the healing yeah. rocks, the healing stones. And so I had yeah. one in my hand. And so I'm sitting here and I have it in my hands and I'm just kind of, you know, utilizing it as we speak. And then I drop it on the desk. So it's like, bang! <laughs> So that's what that noise was. A sign of some kind. I don't know good or bad. You know, it was this morning. I'm not even kidding when I say I emailed. I finally like got up the kahunis to email Stephen Porges and basically beg him to let me like, you know, be a slave for his work. Right. I, um, I think that I am really passionate about trying to help folks understand what he calls the intervening variable in our behavioral assumptions about human behavior. So what I mean by that is that, um, you know, oftentimes we think that people have an experience, they experience their environment, uh, whatever that is, and then they have a response to it. And so if you change the environment um, or the stimulus in behavioral terms, then you'll change the response. And so this is what we do to, like, entice children to behave. You know, we'll say, you know, do... Um, do these things like I asked you to and I'll give you a lollipop or I'll give you a sticker or I'll give you a point or whatever it is and and um, one of the things that Porges is really trying to help people understand is that there is an intervening variable that he calls the physiological state so you know there is stimulus in the environment there's experiences in the environment there's cues in the environment and then something happens in the body and then behavior you know occurs or whatnot and I don't think people give that enough. There's a way too much emphasis still on the power of the mind to overcome everything. Right. And there's not enough. And I also worry about there being too much then emphasis on the brain with this movement, that, that the brain is everything. And so, you know, because we are very uh, complex beings, and I do believe we're energetic beings and social, spiritual beings and soulful beings and you know, we have bodies, you know, these are our vessels. And so trying to help bring more of that wholeness into the conversation as opposed to just, you know, and I think that's why I struggle with the language of resilience because a lot of people think resilience is, or define resilience as grit or perseverance or just getting through. And it's like, you know, a lot of us just get through, but that doesn't mean we're doing well. Right. <laughs> we can get through. And not only that, but I feel like there can be a, 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 a component of judgment, you know what I mean? Like if somebody called me today and said your son was hit and killed, I would be in my closet. Like oh. I would, I would, all resilience that I have and my capacity to cope would be completely diminished and scorched in that moment because that is a life-altering trauma. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not a resilient person. It just means that I might need time to like, rebuild my life you know what I mean yes, so right. I think that that piece of just understanding that there's more happening than just what we are thinking about or that conscious process um that you know people aren't all just making bad choices they may may not feel safe and they may not feel safe in their bodies and the environment may make their bodies feel unsafe and that's you know and, sort of 
reacting to that sure and it can be know? it can be benign things which is what I uh, you know I Absolutely. I like to say what what may get that. yeah what may seem like a, a, a just like a no big deal kind of thing for for the majority of children in a classroom or for one in particular person um, you know can be huge uh, you know again my trauma all of a sudden I was terrified of driving on the highway and it was like where is this coming from like it, again, it was just, it, it can be something very benign. And so it's about figuring out the triggers for these, for kiddos. And yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And recognizing that like most behavior is not some kind of conscious manipulation. You know what I mean? Most challenging behavior or people freaking out is not because they're like plotting, like I'm going to just totally like wreck your world right now with my behavior. Right. <laughs> what I mean? They're, they're, they're reacting in that moment. So Anyways, I, that was kind of just like a lot of, no. <laughs> I could go on forever about it, <laughs> those things I just mentioned, but I am really passionate about people understanding the polyvagal theory and how that applies for understanding human behavior, especially in schools. Right. So, now, what about, what's your thoughts on brain plasticity? I mean, have you, have you researched much about that? Yeah, and I mean, I think that, you know, it's the hope that we have that we, you know, it's partly what we were talking about earlier with all those, you know, contemplative practices is that you know, we know that that can help to heal and create new connections sure. in the brain and new pathways. And so that, that means that healing is possible for any of us at any point in time. Does, does that mean it's, if we're, you know, it, I think it's, doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to help young children who experience trauma because that's the best time to reach them yes. but in terms of their neuroplasticity. But um, I, I think that growth is possible anytime in life. Sure. You know? yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm right on board yeah. with that. I agree with you. Yes. Yep. Um, so what, what resources have you utilized? I mean, like what, is there anything in particular that has helped you um, or any practitioner that has really, you know, that you're super on board with? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely come from the somatic camp. So I'm, I'm big into Peter Levine's work and Bessel van der Kolk's and yeah. um, Pat Ogden's work. And um, <clears throat> they're not necessarily sort of the more mainstream folks that you hear about. Um, I think they're becoming more so that way. Uh, Stephen Porges's work and, um, you know, that's sort of my orientation. I, I don't really care that much for Dan Siegel, honestly, yeah. <laughs> uh, which makes people go like, what? <laughs> uh, but to me, he's still too much of a, he's still too much um, connected, tied to this idea of, of consciousness and, and, you know, that you can just sort of hit the pause button before you react. And, and I do believe that, you know, if you've had a lot of healing and you've recalibrated your stress response, you can do that, but that that's not often possible for, for especially for kids right um but um yeah i would say that those folks are the ones that um and i and i did really i would i really appreciated heather forbes's work when i first read her stuff because she was the first person in the realm of education that or speaking about education and children uh, that was sort of tying some of those principles of understanding body regulation and and uh, misbehavior in children so her work i think is helpful too to some degree um but yeah I, I don't i mean i don't see a lot of authors yet coming out of the education realm that i think yeah that person's really speaking to what i'm talking about here 
Um, I'm usually more reading people that are of the clinical realm and um, trying to apply their experiences to what my experiences were in public education. All right, well, you need um, to write a book now, right? <laughs> well, I, I have I have toyed with that idea. I yeah. do blog often. I do blog and I do post my blog on ACES Connection and on um, Facebook and that kind of thing. Um, I, I just, I, I do... Um, enjoy writing when it comes out, but I also find writing excruciating. So the idea of trying to write a whole book right. is kind of like a journey in torture. Right. So I'm not sure, but I do, I do very much want to write this book and want to write about how No Child Left Behind has wrecked us and right. what we need to do to, to, to fix it. But um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I'm sure at some point somebody will write this book. It's not, you know, I know that I'm not alone in how I see these things. And, and um, somebody else who's a far better writer and it comes more easily to them could write this story. So I know. I, I well, I, I blog and I'm a writer and I feel like I've been writing my book. It's been a, it's been a, in action for, gosh, seems like forever. But yeah, finally got a book proposal done. But yeah, it's sometimes I just... Um, it does seem like, oh, why? I, this is a lot. <laughs> There's well, a lot. Do you, does you find that you ever get, like, jammed up? Like, I, I yeah. speak to Sissy. Sissy White and I are friends, and, and um, she was actually one of the people who encouraged me to reach out to you. Oh, but awesome. She, you know, I talked to her, and I'm like, Sissy, I don't get it. Like, I know a lot of your healing has come through the whole writing process, and i got to tell you, it's like the opposite <laughs> for me. But, um, you know, I just... Sometimes I want to say so much, nothing comes out. Right. I don't know if you've right. that, but literally, it's like block. <laughs> yes. So is your blog available? Is there a link for it on Here This Now website? Yes. Oh, yes. good. Yep. I'll have to check it yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Okay, very yeah, cool. Yeah, please do. Please do. Yeah, and, um, I totally will. If there's anything you like to share, or give them comments or feedback. I'm open to anything. Any okay. Kind of, I like to have, you know, engaged dialogue about these sorts of things. Oh, so absolutely. I write, about all different, I write about all different kinds of things. Everything from, you know, systems change to um, my experience with, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago where I was just like, I don't know if I can keep doing this work. This work is being a consultant and doing this work as a business is just really there's some really great moments and then there's some really crappy lows so it's yeah it's it's been a, it's been i don't know what your experience has been but it's definitely been a wave for me that kind of ebbs and flows yes i agree and you're in your so I, write, yeah. I write about you know i write about that kind of suffering too right <laughs> yeah my blog it's all over the place from my journey with my mom you know to um yeah i mean it goes from you know like really professional like here are the 10 here are 10 tips to kickstart your you know you on your mindfulness journey and then you know like three days later I'll blog about you know my mom and my journey you know with her alcoholism and so it kind of goes all over the place from personal to professional right. so yeah I get it well I'll have to check out yours too Terry all I right really love reading other people's writing I yeah me too there, me too yeah I do and so yours so you're well. you're at hearthisnow.org correct yeah, and it's a it's a double entendre, so it's it's spelled H E R E, um, because you know the here and the I wanted to call it here and now, but you can't because that's like the the here and the now is like a very common oh. phrase used in mindfulness work and all kinds of stuff. But I also liked the idea that you know when I started the business, truthfully, I didn't know if anybody would even ever like when I would say that phrase trauma informed or aces. Literally a year, year and a half ago, no one had even oh. heard of it, and now it's right. kind of like exploded um which is really exciting 
uh, but um, able to um, be willing to open open themselves to to hear this to hear the science to hear this this truth. I think. Yeah. And I also recognize the here and the now as you know what's the antidote to trauma. I love it. When I first saw it, I was like, it was almost like a command of, but not like, like just, it, it's so important. That's how, like, like hear this now, yeah. like here, yeah. like pointing, like yeah. here, this now, like, you know, we've, yeah. we've got yeah. to pay attention to this. We've got to do something about this because there are so many kids hurting. Um, yeah. And so yeah. very so cool. many people hurting. Yeah. And so, so many people exactly hurting. You got it. I'm yes. glad you got it. That's I what did. I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> Good. All right. My big question that I love to throw at people, and I don't know if I sent you the questions beforehand, so you might have had a little prep work for it, but it's just one of my favorite questions to throw at people because I love the answers that I get. But if you could meet anyone in the world, dead or alive, who could help you with your journey, who would it be? Oh, my God. That's a big question. <laughs> oh, God, that's a big question. I know, There's right? There's so many running through my head right now. Um, <laughs> Okay, so this is going to sound really crazy, but I would love to meet Martin Luther King. He has been like in my consciousness since I was a little girl, and I have no Aww. idea why, but, but he has, and That's I sort of cool. feel like he's a spiritual guide of mine. I really do. Um, and in many ways, I feel like the trauma-informed movement is the civil rights movement of our, of our time. So That's yeah, beautiful. That makes me kind of choked up, but I yeah. would I would love to sit with that man and, and hear how did he do it? How did he keep saying love is the answer when people were being killed and and you know terrorized? And I mean he's just amazing. So I would do anything to sit with him for a cup of coffee and wow, what a powerful, beautiful mm -hmm. answer! I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Um, yeah. All right. And then final question for you. Um, sure. What What is your dream job, and are you doing it? <laughs> I am doing it. I am doing it, and um, I feel like I'm the luckiest person, which is probably why I also freak out too. Like, oh my god, can I really do this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I want to grow this business into um, much more than just you know me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that that is my that is my dream it's literally my dream and um, even starting my own business has been a dream that I've had I came from an entrepreneurial father and have entrepreneurial brothers and uh, I've always wanted to have a business of my own but I wanted to um, be a social entrepreneur so I wanted to use business as a vehicle for social change so that's what I'm trying to accomplish with this work and but I want it to grow much bigger yes. than me so I hope I hope I can do that. Yeah, That's, that would be a dream come true. But well, I'm doing this, which right now is pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, <laughs> do, I'm, I'm know, cheering you on. For a living right now. Yeah, I think it's yeah. I think it's fantastic. Again, big kudos to you. Um, just wonderful job, and um, yeah, I get it. I have grandiose dreams myself, and I just <laughs> I just do one day at a time. You know, the podcast yeah. grow it a little bit, and I love having you know people like you on air. Um, to share your mission and your passion, and so I just really super appreciate you being being here and talking to people about about what it is that you do. Um, so how Thank can you, how can people get a hold of you? Um, and any last things that you you know want to talk about, need to talk about? Sure. Um, sure. So um, I, I invite people to reach out to me through my website if they're interested, which is heretosnow.org. So it's h e r e t h i s n o w dot org. 
Um, I'm also on ACES Connection um, on there pretty frequently, and so people can reach out to me through that, um, which you know is, has been really a wonderful platform. Oh. I connected with so many amazing people. Me too. Last year, so I it's, love it. It's, it's amazing. It like, is I amazing. For ACES Connection, thank God it existed. Yeah. Um, or Facebook. I'm also on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter. Here, this now is on both places, so I do correspond with folks that way. Um, I have an upcoming offering with Laura, Laura Kane, who is my counterpart on the West Coast in L.A. She actually um, designed the pilot for Kaiser Permanente, um, who, you know, of course, was the... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The ACES. The ACES study. Yeah. So they, they, um, they had Laura uh, design for them the first trauma-informed schools pilot that they funded. is now in 20 schools across the country. So Laura and, Laura and I have collaborated to bring um, a, a really nice retreat style training about how to it's called trauma-informed schools 2.0 and we're hosting that here in new hampshire october 21st to the 24th um, and the intention of it is to provide both like a retreat experience for folks that attend um, you know with a lot of trauma-informed principles embedded right into how we do the training but it will also be sort of like big picture pieces and nuts and bolts of how do you help a school, how do you, as a trauma-informed schools champion, bring this movement to your school and spread it? What are the pieces of it? What do you need? Wow. To understand. Yeah, so I'm super excited. Yeah. And I are really, really, uh, it's really fun to work with her. She's like, um, like I'm, I'm, yeah, she's she's great. So it's just, I'm excited about that, that to be able to do that work with her. So. If folks are interested in that um, offering, you know, check it out. It's on my website, and so are a bunch of my other upcoming trainings and workshops. Okay. Um, like the regulated classroom and learning to build a trauma-informed system. Um, people can find all of that on the website as well. Wonderful. All Great. right. Well, thank fantastic. Thank you so much, Terry. What an honor. Thank you. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Thank you. It's just been amazing. And, I, again, I could probably just sit and talk to you for hours and because yeah. I yeah. – I, I get it and I love it and again keep up the great work and I'm just um, I love what you're doing so thank you thank you everyone for joining us today and until next time be gentle with yourselves